This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Pasigli. Jennifer is the founder and CEO of Enteros. Uh, Enteros is a dynamic supply chain risk management and operational resilience company, very timely for right now. And under Jennifer's uh, leadership, Enteros is considered a unicorn startup with over a $1 billion valuation and has merged as a major player in the emerging operational resilience space, empowering clients such as the Department of Defense, NASA, and a host of uh, Fortune 500 companies with the tools and counsel needed to detect these uh, crises that are happening every day uh, before they happen. Uh, Jennifer is also a well-sought-after global supply chain architect and strategist and uh, regularly appears in, on uh, programs such as Business Insider, Bloomberg, Wall Street, and many other publications. So, Jennifer, it's an honor to have you on the show and welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So, Jennifer, this is a show about leadership. So I'm going to ask you, can you describe your leadership style? So I really think that my job as a leader, first and foremost, is set vision by definition. And the second is to ensure that all of my team members are able to do their job. So I really look at my role in addition to saying this is where we're going to go, ensuring that I get everything out of everybody else's way that would keep them from being able to achieve that goal. And if, I think at the end of the day, if I've done that, then I've, I've done a good job. Do you change your approach depending upon the situation or audience? I, I know as a woman, sometimes I walk in a room and nobody else looks like me. You know, do you have to alter it uh, based on, on who you're wor- working with or, or uh, the situation at hand? Well, definitely. And I actually, it's it's funny that you say that because the company, as you introduced it, we hit unicorn status, but it, and we were called a startup, but we're actually 17 years old. And so I, I think back that even just what the company is today, which is 100% artificial intelligence and tech, compared to where we were four years ago, which was a services consulting company, even those two leadership styles are different because the people I interact with on a daily basis are different. So it used to be services, you know, hourly, you know, billable rate kind of folks. And now they're all tech engineers, product people, and enterprise salespeople. It's really very dynamic and very different, incredibly exciting. So I think that it's based on situation. It's based on, culture. You know, as you mentioned, we're global. And, you know, when we say global, the the platform looks at supply chains globally. My team members are located in North America and in Europe. So when you go to Europe, even in the different countries, the leadership style is different. So it's a little bit of a chameleon, but it's a lot of fun. Now, have you found being a woman leader? I know that you, you've been very active in empowering women in uh, the tech sector. Um, have you found that being a woman leader in a dominated male situation, you've had to, is there any stories that where you've had to deal with the situation and maybe altered the way you approach things? You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't get up every day thinking that I'm a female because I just am. And uh, so, so it's not kind of how I enter a room. 
I do think that, uh, again, think about cultures, you know, depending on what country you're working in and definitely being able to read a room. I think that's just what we all need to do. Um, so there's there's situations where and I'm a very strong personality. And so there's always situations that you have to kind of temper that. I don't know that it's gender based, Aileen, as much as just being able to read the room, though. Jennifer, any leaders come to mind in your past that provide you important lessons or events that taught you the, the lessons lessons you wish everybody had a chance to know before they started to be um, a leader of an organization? You know, again, having been doing this for for a long time, I think back to my very first boss out of college and the funniest, it's kind of funny, but um, he said, you know, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So that's always stuck with me. Uh, You know, so listen first before you just kind of enter the room and and blast. But but again, you know, I take what I have built here and the team members that have decided to make Interos the next step in their journey, I take it really seriously. You know, Aileen, we've grown from 50 people before the pandemic to just south of 400. So we've we've added so many wonderful team members to the company in the last two and a half years. And, and you know, to the question of leadership, so that leadership responsibility has changed. And when I think of vision, I look at, you know, President Obama or folks that speak at Davos and change the world. And that's a bit of the aspiration that we're going after here in Enteros because kind of the sky's the limit if we all work together and do well. So what obstacles and challenges did you uh, encounter as at a personal level? You, you mentioned that, you know, your first boss mentioned to you, uh, you have two ears and a mouth for a reason. Were there any um, personal things that you had to overcome to, to make you or develop more effective leadership style in yourself? Oh, definitely. And I think, I think it's obstacles. It's just constant evolution. And so again, you know, I started the company as many people do at the kitchen table. And when I started in Taros 17 and a half years ago, I had uh, hired five 1099s and then made the decision to actually bring on full-time employees and then pivoted the company from being a services to a to a tech company. And I think every time, whether you look at it as an obstacle, I guess I look very much at what is happening uh, to this company and to me personally as the glasses, you know, overflowing, because I look at the I look at a challenge that is an opportunity. The interesting thing, I think, Aileen, for me, is that I knew when I started this company it was going to be a tech company. So I've always known where we were going to end up today when I started this back in 2005. And so as my leadership style changed, as my team members changed, as the company changed, I looked at all of that as just where we needed to get to versus an obstacle. I will say that, you know, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, we're located in Washington, D.C. There are not a lot female CEOs in tech that have raised money out of Silicon Valley in Washington, D.C. And I think if you look at that as an obstacle or an opportunity and and a challenge on a positive note, when I went to raise money, I had no one to look at to to learn from. And so that was a really interesting point in time back in 2018. I, I went out to Sand Hill Road and walked into a couple potential investors having having never done a pitch before, never had coaching before. That was a really interesting time. Um, and yet, you know, ended up at Kleiner Perkins with Ted Schlein, who's an amazing luminary 
and he saw something in Interos and in me, and he believed in us, and you know, the rest is history. So let's talk about that. Um, I mean, there's very few companies uh, led in the tech sector by women. It's getting better, but uh, certainly the percentages do not reflect our population. What is the difference when a woman uh, comes down to Sand Hill Road or uh, I know I've spoken to some of your other investors. Actually, we've had we've had one or two on the show and we've had a chance to talk about what is it like for a woman who you, you said you didn't have anybody to learn from? How did you develop yourself to be able to walk into that room and share your vision that made them excited enough to invest in you? Years ago, there was a book written by uh, a woman here in Maryland, uh, Dr. Sharon Hadari, and it talked about the 10 qualities of a successful female entrepreneur. And one of them, I think it was like number five or six, was always being able to understand the numbers, understand the financials. And not to generalize, but so many of us don't get comfortable with the numbers. And that really stuck with me. And so I think two things, Aileen. One is, you know, I've been a lifetime logistician and technology person. Like I answered a blind ad out of college, ended up at a distribution center in New Jersey at the the crossroads of technology and supply chain and never looked back. I also saw a gap in the market and no kidding, the company today, Interos today, 17 and a half years later, is exactly the vision I had in February of 2005. And so I think between being a subject matter expert, being very convicted about what product was needed to solve a problem, and being very comfortable. I mean, remember, we had bootstrapped the company for 14 years. And so investors like that scrappiness. They like the, you know, the fact that, that I have grit and that I was willing to slog it out for 14 years. I wasn't just a 19 year old with a good idea. All of those things I think were really supportive. And I am very fortunate with my investors. We've done three rounds. I have handpicked the investors that I wanted to let into this company because that can be a positive or a negative. I have incredible relationships with all three of them. They're very different and they were, they were chosen for specific reasons. But I think between being a subject matter expert, very convicted about what solution was needed and understanding how I was going to make money, I think those three things and just Ted saw just just sheer raw passion and grit. <laughs> and he latched on and, and we've been very, very successful. I can I can hear and feel your determination. Um, what is the difference between management and leadership? Because I hear a true leader coming out in your voice. Yeah, that's probably the hardest transition I'm going through right now, which is, you know, the company doesn't need the same version of me today that it needed even a year ago today, much less six months ago. And because we've grown in numbers, we've grown in talent and capability. No kidding. There are people that are way better at their jobs here <laughs> than I would ever be. So now my job is really to get up and to be focused on the vision and the thought leadership, making sure we have the resources surrounding us um, to be successful. 
And that's the difference, right? Like my job's up and out. It's not down and in. I have fabulous executives on my team that their job is to make the machine run. And we have really worked hard over the last two years to agree on metrics that make us very successful. And the metrics change for us based on the technology sector, based on where we are operating in the world, based on how much money we took in, right? So it's very different being a $3 million consulting company, which is what we were in 2018 and being valued at $100 million today. And so so really long answer to your question is my personal evolution right now is really, it's not so much delegation because I've, I've actually never had a problem with delegation. It's more of getting out of their way so they can be successful because they're better at it and focusing on my job, which is that up and out. It's where are we going? And, you know, really unique situation, Aileen, in the fact that what happened the last two and a half years, unfortunately, could not have been better for Enteros. And so the pandemic taught us how we were over-reliant on different parts of the world. So when those parts of the world shut down based on a pandemic, I couldn't get my stuff. I couldn't make my earnings. And then you have a ship that goes sideways in a canal and you have the cyber breaches through the supply chain. And now you have this Russia-Ukraine uh, situation. And so so my job is to continue to lead the company to I hate to say take advantage of those two things, but make sure that our product and our solutions reflect what's happening in the current events of the world. It's not to focus on the day-to-day. I look forward to talking with you further about that in, in, the, in future segments. I'm speaking with Jennifer Pasigli, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Enteros. After the break, we'll continue the discussion of the importance of investing in the growth of your leaders. You're listening to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Basigli, founder and CEO of Enteros. So, Jennifer, you've had such an amazing career path um, to founding your own company, getting money from uh, Silicon Valley, growing it to be a unicorn status. How did it get started? What was your first job? So I actually answered a blind ad out of college. I was a finance major and um, had worked in the Philadelphia Stock Exchange and for a couple of the brokerages and just realized that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so didn't really know, which didn't really excite my parents, but answered a blind ad. And it was for customer service, which is kind of funny because if you know me, that's not necessarily where I gravitate towards. And uh, went in and, you know, I was very, very fortunate because my first boss saw something in me and ended up creating a management training program. And what that meant was he put me in different parts of the company and then he would move me every couple months <laughs> because I would wear folks out. And I also optimized the business processes because that's what I would do. I'm like, okay, there's a better way to do this. And I would go fix it. And then he'd move me around. And the benefit of that is that I learned how to do every function. It happened to be at a distribution center for a shoe retailer. And when they decided to revamp the technology, move from mainframe to newer servers, I became the IT department. So I literally, what you would call today a product manager, I became their product manager because I had learned everybody's job. And then I ran the IT department. And this was uh, years ago before inventory management systems and logistics systems were really what were considered off the shelf or or shrink wrapped. And so I ended up working with engineers that they hired, software engineers, 
and told them this is how every function operates, create a computer program for it. And we actually overhauled the entire facility and made it digital. And it became, it was bought and sold and bought and sold, and it became Oracle's very first warehouse management system. And so that's really where I got started. The interesting thing that happened at that point in time is back in the 90s, is that the U.S. and every other country started offshoring manufacturing, right? This is what we've all learned about the last two and a half years when we went to just in time. That was back in the 90s. And Saul is the U.S. and every other country started offshoring manufacturing. And then that company that you offshore to, they outsourced and they and it became a very quick extended supply chain that no one knew who had access to their stuff. And I never lost sight of that. And so my entire career, I have always been at the nexus of technology and supply chain. So I've worked for other companies implementing and, and uh, technology for their supply chain. I have worked for technology companies that focused on supply chain technology and just always saw this gap in the world where nobody was really paying attention to, you know, the fact that they were part of a global network and that they had no idea when something goes bump in the night, if it's a good or a bad thing. And so that was the start of Enteros. You know, I, I hear fearless. That's mm. what I hear in your voice. You are fearless. Do you think that's important? attribute that somebody has to have to start a business, especially in these days? Yeah, I think risk tolerance is through the roof. And so it's it's funny, my husband and I went to a wealth management company and they gave us a profile, like a, a, a test to understand our risk tolerance. And, you know, my husband is a, a, a Navy nuclear engineer and he was a, a government employee. And so, you know, very focused, um, very cautious, which is good when you're dealing with nuclear energy. And my risk tolerance was through the roof. And it was funny because no matter how far they pressed me, I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> and I do think it, it really depends, Eileen. You know, I have lots of friends that have smaller consulting companies, like lifestyle companies, and that's great. And that makes them happy. I knew I wanted something big and global. And you mentioned before, I've done a, a lot of work with and on behalf of women entrepreneurs. I think it's incredibly important to pay it forward and always to reach back and bring folks with you. And I'm a big believer, if you can see it, you can be it. And I take that responsibility very seriously. And that's part of what we've built here at Interos. So let's, let's double click on that. I, I was just writing a note on the fact that you just really can read the room. You can see patterns. That's that's how we describe your ability to be able to see that vision. You can see the connectivity of the world. And today, the world is a hyper-connected, you know, very small place, right? And, and if you can't see that vision, so how do you provide that vision to your team so that they can see this importance of, you know, the supply chain and how something that happens way down in, you know, the, the cycle uh, can affect the entire thing and, and put your company almost in danger or out of business. Well, we're in a fortunate situation that if you watch the news every day, you're getting educated about exactly what you, <laughs> you just said. So my job of educating you know, three years ago was very different than it is today, whether it be my my employees or customers, right? I mean, literally every day the supply chain is on the news. And so, and there's so many examples. 
So whether it's you go to the supermarket later today and you can't find your favorite brand of baby formula or, you know, there's a cyber breach and you can't get gas at the gas station down the street or a pandemic and you can't get cleaning supplies. And so it's been a very unique situation for for me personally and for this company in that we haven't had to educate anybody for the last two and a half years. I, I think that previous, if you look at the iterations of Intero, so we were a 100% a government contractor for the first 14 years of the company. And so much smaller, as I mentioned, coming into 2018, I think we're about $3 million in annual revenue. And so much smaller company, very focused on supporting the Department of Defense, which you know their job is to make sure that the war fighters and the, the sailors they have and pilots that they have what they need at any point in time. So logistics and supply chain is easily understood. I think at this macro level that Interos is playing at right now, this was my big, hairy, audacious goal. This was always the vision in my head for the last 17 and a half years. And just uniquely, what the current events of the world the last two and a half years took the load of the responsibility of educating off my shoulders because it's playing out in real time. You seem to be very self-aware. How do you grow yourself as you realize things that you need to develop in yourself and your team? (laughs) I I keep people around me that have known me for a long time, which keeps you very humble. So my mother lives 10 minutes from me. (laughs) That keeps you very humble. I'm from New Jersey. I grew up, you know, lower middle class and, uh, watched my parents just do the best job they could to give my sister and I everything that they they could provide. And when it was time to graduate high school, they told both of us, you know, you're going away to college, you're getting out of the house and you're going away. And I think that a lot of what I am today is just remembering where I came from and never taking myself too seriously. You know, Aileen, there is nothing that happened at Interos um, or to me personally that was not based on teamwork. And I take, I really give it back and I thank my employees. We had a town hall at the company yesterday and I, I do as much as I can to let folks know how much I appreciate them. And I thank them because it's a very serious responsibility to have a company and realize that people are getting married and, you know, you're providing healthcare to them and they're having babies. And so I think all of these things and keeping that very close to you is really how I stay very self-aware and, and humble through this whole process. So you bring up, you know, culture, you've mentioned it several times and you just uh, you just described how you're developing your culture, culture in your company. What is the relationship from your perspective between leadership and culture and, and how does leadership you know, affect culture? I mean, there's a famous quote from a legendary management consultant, Peter Drucker, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. What do you think he meant by that? And what does that mean to you? Well, I'll give you a perfect illustration in that the first 150 people at Interos, I interviewed them all myself. And it was really incredibly important when we moved from being a services company to a technology company that I really spent a lot of time on making sure that every person that came into the company understood what was important to me. And one of the biggest things that's important to me is mutual respect. I'm great with having healthy friction. I think it makes you grow. I think it makes the company better for our customers, but it's gotta be respectful. It's gotta be 
something that moves us forward. And it was really important to me that everybody heard that from me. And so the first 150 people, and trust me, Aileen, my HR team hated me because as you know, we're raising money and I'm out selling to customers. So my schedule was not the freest. And yet I held strong to that 150. Now we're bigger. And so I still take the time to welcome all new employees the first day or the first week that they start with the company because i'm also a big believer that you remember how people treat you and so it's important to me that folks know that even though i have the corner office the door is always open they have access to me through my assistant knows that i we're doing skip level meetings um you know they have access to my cell phone not because i always want to be available as a, as a resource necessarily, but I want them to know that nobody here at this company is any better than anybody else. And we're in this together. And so I think that when you think about, you know, culture, each strategy for breakfast, I could have the best ideas and just want to solve the world supply chain problems, but it really doesn't matter if I don't have a team. And that I hope is the culture that we're building here. I'm speaking with Jennifer Pasigli, founder of C- and CEO of Enteros. Coming up next, we'll talk about being a leader that is trying to lead through these very challenging times. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Maylene Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Maylene Black, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Pasigli, founder and CEO of Enteros. Jennifer, there's so many articles right now coming out about empathetic leadership. People are tired. I mean, you know, the hits just keep on coming. And then there's talk about the great resignation. How do you lead right now? And do you lead and believe in leading through empathy? So it's really great. One is I think you need to talk about it, right? This is what's happening right now in the world. It's never happened before. The, The fact that the workforce is so spread out and the opportunity for it to be so disconnected was something that we all needed to get ahead. And who knows when it's, if it's ever really going to go back. And so versus focused on, you know, is it ever going to go back? It's really, let's focus on the here and now and what do people need? And so a few things. One, at Enteros, when we all went remote, we started doing a twice a week, 15 minute stand up. And to be very honest with you, Aileen, it was really to get everybody to turn their cameras on so that we could make sure everybody was okay. It was the fastest way to, to, to focus on empathy and giving our employees what they needed, which to be honest with you was a lot of it was just to check in on them. Interestingly enough, we actually do a, a, a culture survey, like an engagement survey every quarter. And our engagement numbers went from December of 19, I guess, to, you know, March of 2020, when we all went remote, went up like 20 points. And I'm laughing because I was trying not to take it too personally that that the engagement went up so much when they were farther away from me. But um, but we were obviously doing something okay. And interestingly enough as well was that we said, okay, well, 15, you know, this was going on. We all thought it was going to be 30 days, 60 days. It's two and a half years later. Should we end these meetings? And our employees actually enjoyed it. So we actually... We have a monthly all hands for an hour, hour and a half. 
And we literally get together every Friday for 30 minutes and do a check-in. And the employees want that. We've asked and asked and they still, because we're like, there's so many meetings, we want to cancel. They want that. And so when you think about empathy, you know, part of it is the culture, which we just talked about, which is let's focus on respect. We can have tough conversations, but at the end of the day, it makes us better for each other as team members and for our families and for our customers. And also, how do we meet employees where they are today? And so it's staying connected. It's doing things that are fun. We announced a hackathon yesterday for the tech team. They've been asking for a year for this, and we finally kicked it off because we could. You know, it's making sure we recognize events in their lives um, because we want to treat people like people. And I think that was one of the biggest things as you read articles today. I, I read one two weeks ago about how the CEO's role is forever changed. You know, the, the Mad Men version of a CEO doesn't work anymore. Right. I can't and not, not that I would have because it's not me, but I can't just walk in and say you will do X. It's really this is what the company needs. This is what the customer needs. How can I help you get there? And I think that I think that's important. I'll, I'll be very candid. We had some reports um, that reached my office that we were not necessarily treating each other this way throughout the company. And um, and I had a conversation during one of the Friday meetings. And I just said, you know what, guys, it's hit this office. It stops now. And we actually enable and we ask our team members to hold each other accountable to this. I have a thing here and people laugh at it. I don't allow foul language at the company. I'm a big believer that that's lazy and it's disrespectful. And, you know, folks thought it was just you couldn't use foul language around Jennifer. And it's no you have a much bigger vocabulary <laughs> and let's use your words. And it's interesting when I hear, you know, whether it's salespeople, which can be, you know, a little bit renegade uh, in the, in the field or whomever that actually comes back to me because it's like, you know what, Jennifer doesn't stand for this. Therefore us as 400 people, none of us should talk to each other like that. I think all of those things lead to culture and, and empathy. You uh, mentioned something earlier that stuck to me. You said uh, you you try to find out and, and be aware of things in people's lives beyond what's happening in the walls of the office, whether they're getting married or having children. Do you think it's important to understand where people need that type of empathy because of where they are? And, and how do you do that with you know that respect in mind? So I have a phenomenal people organization here, um, what used to be called HR, and uh, and they actually take that very seriously. So not to say that, um, so they they help me because it, it is, it's, it's harder now. We're remote. I have a lot more people. I'm moving around and traveling again. And so um, a few things. I have a people organization that focuses on these things and makes sure to bubble them up. Um, there are technologies that we use here at the company. So I get an email every month of the birthdays and the work anniversaries that are coming up. We recognize all those things. Um, and then the other thing, to be honest with you, Aileen, not everybody wants that. So I think that's the other piece that's really important is understanding who wants to have this publicly known and who doesn't. So we've had situations where, um, you know, folks have lost family members and they, they didn't want, they didn't want anyone to know when COVID started happening, and it wasn't necessarily um, the optics weren't real great if you got COVID. It was, and you have HIPAA compliance, right? So there are certain situations, and this is why it's really important to meet your employees where they are. 
understanding some folks are more private and they don't really care for that type of attention or you know what they really want to be celebrated and and you know some of in some of the is the opposite where like this past weekend one of my employees that's been with us for six years she um you know eloped and she's moving and she calls me on a saturday to, to let me know and so you know just being aware of your people and being able to meet them where they are is important but i do think that whether it's the cat running across the the keyboard the kids crying in the back of a conference call the last two and a half years has forever changed what empathy and culture in the workplace will be. I'd like to talk a little bit about women leadership, Jennifer. Um, sure. You've been a leader in technology for decades. Um, women are still drastically under, underrepresented in the technology companies, especially in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, what do you think we can do about it? And can you tell any stories uh, about how that may have affected you? Well, <clears throat> I think um, a few things, and we've touched on it already. One is, as I mentioned, when I took in our Series A investment from Kleiner Perkins, you know, somebody actually said to me, there was no reason that um, a female in tech in the Washington, D.C. area received an investment from Silicon Valley. Like, it didn't even make sense, right? So, so there's that. Having said that, I, again, I take this responsibility very seriously and I make myself very available, whether it be, you know, situations like this, you know, so a podcast and talking about it or, you know, newspaper articles or now after a couple of years of pretty much taking myself out of the networking market, getting back out there to always help other folks. Because, again, as I mentioned before, I'm a big believer of if you can see it, you can be it. Um, but it was hard. I mean, just to kind of sum it up, it was really hard. And it's also why I chose my investors very uh, purposefully in that, you know, my Series A investor, if I think about how new and green I was when he invested in me and where I am today, it's just worlds different. And a lot of it was because I leaned so heavily on him that first year. You know, he invested in us. It was 3.30 on a Friday when we closed the deal. The money was wired to my bank account. I had never seen that much money in my bank account. I called him and said, what am I supposed to do now? He's like, um, go sell, right? So, <laughs> so I was like, but I did. I think that um, it's not even just female leadership, Aileen. It's it's really, um, the, I think the negative from a, the challenge, not a negative, but the challenge really is there's not a lot of us to lean on. Um, and we all do it differently. And I don't care what gender you are. Uh, we all do leadership differently. We all achieve success differently. I did it by making my investors really work for me because that was the, they they were in it with me. And so I really, I called them, I used to talk to my investor every week and make sure that I asked these questions and what should I be doing? And it got me to where we are today. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with Jennifer Sigley, founder and CEO of Enteros. Next, we'll find out what Jennifer's advice is to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. And I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with, with Jennifer Basigli, founder and CEO of Enteros. So, Jennifer, tell us, you know, we've been talking a lot about your leadership style, but let's talk about Enteros for a minute. Um, what is 
what do you do? What's a day in the life of the CEO? Why supply chain issues and why today? Well, I, I, again, I think if you turn on the news, you, you know why today. <laughs> so okay. uh, I, I think the, the pandemic forever educated the world, every country and every company, simply how hyper-connected we are as a global economy. And technology is really the underpinning and what did it. You know, when I started in, in supply chain and logistics back in the 90s, you know, you outsourced, but I was at a distribution center in New Jersey. We outsourced to Brazil. We used to put a guy in Brazil to oversee the factory with cash in his pocket to make sure that the quality of the product was right and that from an organized crime it made across the border. And that's what we used to call supply chain risk management, which is not necessarily scalable or sustainable. And then, you know, China actually, you know, started really investing and became a manufacturing, a major manufacturing force, especially around technology. But we never really looked much further than that. And so, you know, people used to be worried about counterfeits coming out of China or, you know, back in 2004, 2005, when we were involved in overseas um, conflict, when we started worrying about, can we get the, um, the things that our warfighters needed to be effective in the war? And we started air shipping, you know, guns and, and food and supplies around the world. And that's really not sustainable or scalable. And now, you know, technology has forever connected us. And there's so many hops between where you're buying the original manufacturer of the parts to when you actually get a finished good that none of us really have an idea. And like I said, the last few years really just educated everyone, not just businesses, but the consumer. And so what's interesting right now, when you say, you know, why right now, is that a lot of the value of business is being played out in the court of public opinion. And so what do I mean by that is that, you know, you, there's a baby formula problem right now. And you have mothers that literally are traveling to 10, 11 different stores to find formula, not even just to find the brand they like, but to find formula. So not only is it availability, but there's ethical aspects of it as well. And so when you order off of Amazon or you order an Uber, you can actually look at the carbon footprint of that car or the company that's supplying the product to Amazon. People are making decisions based on the supply chain in a way that's never happened before. So what does Interos do? We create a visualization of the multiple hops of the supply chain so that our customers can literally see who they're directly buying from and all the way back in the chain to where the components are coming from. And that matters based on ethical sourcing, like carbon footprint or modern slavery. It matters around availability of product, like the chip shortage going on. And it also matters from a where am I buying from in the situation of nearly 3,000 sanctions being put against Russia right now to shut down that economy because of the conflict. So never before has um, the, the value of a business or the product that you're using been played out such in the court of public opinion and the value of that being made by consumers to the level it is today. And Interos is a technology that actually visualizes that and, and puts the power in the people's hands to decide who they wanna buy from based on how they're operating their supply chain. Wow. 
what advice would you have to CEOs and leaders out there to help them prepare, you know, uh, I, 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 not be blindsided by some of these things. Like you say, you can't help but pick up the paper or turn on the TV, not to hear something about that. Well, they have to get curious. They have to ask and not knowing is not good enough anymore. So we actually work with private equity companies that manage and monitor their portfolios and using our platform to understand how their portfolio companies are operating their supply chain and setting valuation. So every CEO needs to get really curious about the supply chain because the the value of their business, whether they are a private company or a public company, is being determined by the supply chain. The SEC just came out with disclosure laws. So if you're a public company, you used to have to have a little paragraph around supply chain risk. Now they're asking for specific details about your supply chain. And you actually have to declare that in your annual filings when you decide to IPO. And it's also happening in the private sector. You know, I can't, um, you know, agree uh, more passionately about you about uh, understanding your supply chain being critical to keeping your business and your government on track. I mean, uh, when I look at the investments over the last decade that China has done on some of the raw elements that go into car batteries, for example, it, it, you know, the, is it the responsibility also of the U.S. government to take a look at these supply chains to make sure that we're not putting our nation, uh, our nation's security or economic future at risk? So so it is. And the interesting, uh, you know, when I think about the government, I'm a big believer that business is there to, to remain profitable. Um, but the government's an enabler. And if you look at what's happening in this administration and, and the last two administrations also, you know, had had varying degrees of investment from a supply chain. There's a big push right now to unhook from China, which isn't you know, against the Chinese people necessarily. But to your point, there's a political and economic tie that it's really just not healthy for the whole world to be reliant on any one country for their technology manufacturing. And we've allowed that to occur. And so whether it's the U.S. government, the U.K. government, the German government, they're all doing these China plus one investments so that we have alternative sources of supply. And honestly, Elaine, that's not a political comment. That's just good business and, and operational resilience. Because, you know, when a pandemic shuts down a country, where do you go? And businesses cannot continue to operate as they have the last two and a half years. And that is the responsibility of every CEO. And that is the responsibility that the governments have taken on. Plays out every day when you go to fill up your car at gas, at the gas station, right? It does. I actually was very excited yesterday. I paid a dollar fifty less at this new gas station I found that I will not tell anybody about. So <laughs> that sounds like important news. <laughs> All right, Jennifer, what do you think the government can be doing to to help? Uh, is there anything that you, if you were president for a day, that you would change to uh, change some of the current things that are happening in our economy and and, and you know, half of them are a result of supply chain issues. Yeah, I think I, it's a really great question. And there's, you know, so many competing things going on right now. And But if I were to be, you know, king for a day or queen for a day and focus on the supply chain, 
you know, we have to get rid of the uncertainty and the uncertainty is playing out in inflation. It's being played out, you know, the cost of goods when you go to the supermarket, as you just mentioned at the gas pump, we have to get rid of the uncertainty. And so there's not a lot of legislation here in the states around mandating transparency in the supply chain. And, you know, I've testified in front of Congress a few times. I'm back on the Hill again on June 9th. And it's all around this. We've never done a good job here in the U.S. mandating that if you want to do business with the government, if you want to do business in the states, you have to have transparency in your supply chain. And it sounds basic. I I often get asked, how much does it cost? And I look at this and and yes, there's a cost. I mean, we're here to be profitable as well. But I kind of look at it and say, how much does it cost if you don't do it, right? You have people that couldn't drive cars because you had a cyber breach in a gas line. You know, we had solar winds that happened. You have, you know, the situation where you have sanctions against Russia. We, we have a concept here at Interos, it's, you know, around supply chain washing. If you don't have that transparency and you don't understand what's happening in your supply chain, how can you be considered effective in your business? And, and I think that if I was queen for a day, it would really just be that simple. Let's just mandate that every company needs to have transparency in their supply chain for all the reasons we've lived through in the last two and a half years. You know, Jennifer, your career and success uh, you've had is truly inspirational. Um, any pearls of wisdom you would have to the next generation or maybe you know another woman out there that would like to start a company like yours? You know, I, I think just that it's possible. You know, I, I don't, again, I'm I'm from South Jersey, went to West Virginia University. You know, I'm pretty normal. Um, I've created every opportunity that I've gotten. I've asked for help. I think that's the biggest thing, Eileen. You know, when I started, I thought I had to have all the answers and figure it out myself. And it's just impossible to do it all yourself. And it's not nearly as much fun. And so I think that, you know, one is, I truly believe there's lots of ways to to achieve success. There's lots of definitions of success. You know, I wanted this. I wanted to build a company that people wanted to come work um, at, build their personal and professional journey, have families, add value to the world. And I literally wanted to create a company that changed how the world did business. And I never lost sight you know, my team members laugh. I tell people I had one good idea and we're still doing it today. And I think that, you know, I just want folks to know it's possible and you don't have to do what I did, but, you know, if you want to do it, it's possible. You just need to go get very focused, ask for help when you need it and and never stop. And I think that's what got us here today. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Jennifer Basigli. Jennifer, first, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable advice. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. 